0: My name is John Elmore, and I serve here at the Dallas campus in both regeneration and community, and I understand that many of you, this is the first time here to Summit, first time to Watermark, maybe you got invited by a friend, and we just want to say welcome. Like, no matter where you're coming from, where you are in your walk or in searching for God, so thankful that you're here, and I promise you what we're going to cover today completely changed my life, and you're going to hear a little bit about that. But as I was literally walking in through these doors, I'm like... I am the last guy on campus today that should have a microphone right now. Like last guy. And you'll hear a little bit about why I think that is. And it's because of what God did through his word, through the promises that are included herein, through the Holy Spirit that he's given us that changed all that. And rather than like being escorted off, like, hey, you probably shouldn't be here. Uh, In the condition that you are, instead, get to share a little bit. So with that, I want to tell you a little bit about where we were last semester and give you a, a little bit of an overview. So last semester in Summit Men's Bible Study, a group of people took us through Romans 1 through 7. And Romans 1 through 7, and then this semester, 8 through 16. And the way that Blake Holmes, as he kicked that off, if you'll advance that slide, The way that he kicked that off was to say, the first portion of this, and and really all of Romans, because it's a big book, well, letter, 16 chapters, it can be a little uh, cumbersome if you haven't walked through it before, is one through three was the condition of every single man and woman, all of mankind, sin. God is holy, man has sin, therefore there needs to be some response. And so four through six gave us salvation. Sorry, four through eight. Salvation. Having been adopted, the righteous will live by faith. No longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. Adopted by the spirit and dwelt children of God. That's four through eight. And then sovereignty, nine through 11. God's sovereignty, his ordained election, his mercy that he bestows on some And uh, his plan to rescue others. And then finally, service. Like now that there has been adoption, sonship, mercy bestowed, what do we do with that? And so beginning in chapter 12, you hear this line, therefore, in view of God's mercy, which is what he gave us there in chapters 9 through 11, how then shall I live, which is 12 through 16, and where we continue to live. And so that's where we've been and where we're going. And now a little recap from the fall, and a little bit about why I think I'm the last person in the world that should be here. So I'm gonna give you one verse from each chapter in Romans. Bobby Crotty came to me, I don't know, a couple months ago, and he said, hey, would you uh, do one session in Summit this semester? And I was like, uh, let me talk to Laura, let me look at my calendar and, and see, and we agreed upon this date. And I said, hey, what, so what's, what's that date? And he was like, well, uh, tell him what Summit is, uh, give them a little overview of Keller's book and the syllabus, tell them what we did in the fall, like recap chapters 1 through 7, and then give them a preview of 8 through 16, and then make sure that you talk to them about how to engage in the small group once we break out. And I was like, oh, wow, I didn't realize that we, we had two and a half hours for that session. That's, that sounds great. He's like, no, 25 minutes. So what we're going to do in order to do that? I was praying like, Lord, how in the world do you cover all of Romans in 25 minutes? And I I think I've got a way, I hope, and I'll just shut it down at seven if I don't. But we're going to read one verse that has impacted me from each chapter in Romans that I think is either reflective of my life or needs to be reflective of my life as God continues to sanctify and lead me. And the reason uh, that I'm choosing to do this, fellas, is because... Uh, a Bible study is generally worthless if it's just a Bible study. The Pharisees were, they were like the best Bible study people ever. Like loads of scripture memorized. It's all they did was study the scriptures. And they were, by Jesus's acknowledgement, whitewash tombs, brood of vipers, Uh, John the Baptist, who told you to flee from the wrath to come? Like, because they just studied the Bible, and they were experts in it, but it didn't do anything for their heart. And so the reason why I chose this path, and to say, like, hey, I'm gonna give you one verse that has impacted me or needs to impact me, is because if, as James says, this word is a mirror to you, so that you can see yourself and you can see God. And if nothing changes, like woe be to us because we're just like the Pharisees or worse. But within these words, as applied by the Holy Spirit to a heart that is soft and listening, then this is transformational truth. This little Bible, I picked this up when I was five months sober and I scrawled on the inside cover, threshold of hell, because that's how I felt, that I was standing and about to fall into the threshold of hell forever. I despaired of life, I hated myself, I hated everybody else, I was suicidal, and I started, I mean, you can see every page, just like, all right, God, what do you have to say to me? What are your promises for me? because I don't have any more hope in life. And so if you can offer me any hope, this is Romans, if you can offer me any hope on any single one of these pages, and what he did, in very short order, was took me from hopeless to hopeful. I was despairing to joy. I, had, I wanted to die, so he gave me purpose. And it's because I appropriated what was in this word, meaning, he said, if you desire, this is for you. It's not for some special class of people. It's for every single person. And if you would simply take hold of my promise, I'll change your life. And so I called him on it. You say it in your word, I believe it, I want it. And he just started changing me in rapid fire, rapid sequence and didn't treat me as my sins deserve. So no matter where you are, on your spiritual walk or on your spectrum, know that today is not a Bible study unless you make it one. Today will be a day of transformation. This whole semester will be a semester of transformation. And if you're like, man, I I, I don't really know that I need transformation. Life's in a pretty good place. Then you of all people in this room are in the worst place that is a thermometer gauge upon your soul that means you are in a cold, dark place. If you think like, (laughs) you know what? I'm actually in a pretty good place. I just came here to learn a little bit. Like let that be a caution to you that you need to listen more than anybody because that means you've got that Pharisee heart that just wants knowledge and not transformation. So here we go. 16 things in the next 20 minutes. So we're gonna go fast. Romans one thirty two. the heading there is, I loved sin and I mocked God. Although they knew God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve those who practice them. I I loved sin and I mocked God. It's, It's what I did. Like from 18 to 30, I grew up in a kind of a Christian home, would go to church on Sunday, summer camps, and so I knew God's righteous decree. I knew it, and I rejected it, mocked it, flaunted my sins, celebrated it. Like I wasn't, I I tell people, I didn't struggle with with porn. Like I, I never struggled with porn. I loved porn. I didn't struggle with it. I'm like, I don't even know what that means. Would watch it shamelessly, all different kinds, like just like loved it and felt no conviction for it. I'd come home from lunch breaks of work just to like toy with it. And I mocked God. I remember I was in downtown Austin, drunk out of my mind, and there's some people there handing out gospel tracts. And I remember just messing with the guy, being like, hey, so how do you know that not all paths lead up the mountain? And Uh, blah, 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 how do you know Jesus? Wasn't he just a prophet? How can you say that he rose from the dead? Just like mocking him there on Sixth Street in my drunkenness, and then I patted him on the back. I go, I'm just messing with you. I'm actually a Christian, and kept walking. I was so deceived, mocking God, loving my sin. Romans 2.15 as it continues, because it says in Romans 1 that God is holy, man has fallen. They don't give him thanks or glory, so he turns them over to a depraved mind to do what they ought not to do. And though they knew God's righteous decree, the Jews who had the law and then the Gentiles who didn't have the law of God but have a conscience. God's hardwired a conscience into every single person. Like every single civilization for all time has inherently somehow, somehow known that it's wrong to murder, rape, kill, steal, lie. Now, how did they know that? On every single continent for all time, though they couldn't communicate with each other, that every written code says that there is this moral law. It's one of the biggest apologetics against atheists who say there is no God. It's like, really? Then how does man know that it's wrong to do all these things because God's dropped a conscience into every single one of us. If he didn't, apart from that and the sovereign rule of the Holy Spirit that restrains evil, Paul writes in Thessalonians, we'd all kill each other off in a nanosecond. It would be helter-skelter. But in 2.15, he says, since they show the requirements of the law written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness and their thoughts now accusing them, even now defending them. I was in Mexico in college. You're like, oh, this story's about to get bad. Uh, it gets worse. I was in Mexico in college. Me and a buddy just jumped in a car, drove, drove down there to Matamoros across the border town because, uh, you know, it's Mexico. And uh, met strippers, went to the strip club, waited for them afterwards, bought them dinner, and are just like, making out with them. Because I thought in my mind, well, hey, I've got standards. I'm not gonna sleep with her, but I'll make out with her. I'll go back to her place, brothel, whatever it is, but I'm not gonna sleep with her because that would be crossing lines. I mean, I've got a conscience, right? I'm just gonna take from this poor girl enslaved in sex trafficking, but I'm not gonna cross any lines. And I knew, like heart beating out of my chest the entire time, What are you doing? Get out of here. But I silenced my conscience. Point two, I silenced it because I loved sin and mocked God. Thirdly, I thought that I was a good person. Like in spite of what I've told you thus far, I literally thought I am a good guy and I'm going to heaven when I die because I do good and I don't hurt anybody. I like to have a lot of fun along the way, but I'll never hurt anybody. I'm just a good time guy. I'm making a lot of money. I'm climbing the ladder, but I don't hurt anyone. In fact, I help people. I'm a good guy. Romans 3.20, therefore no one, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. See, I, I would cherry pick laws and I'd be like, well, look, our fraternity in college, we do service projects on the weekends. We help out farmers and you know widows and we do all these things. We take mission trips, not to share the gospel, we build houses. Uh, and then after, after college, like in my job, I'm like, man, I'm gonna help people out. I'm gonna help out the new guy. I'm gonna, be, I'm gonna help out homeless. I used to have these bags in the back of my car uh, that I'd filled with toothbrush, socks, water floss, whatever, and I just like hand them out to homeless guys because I'm a good guy. I was like tithing as a pagan. And I thought that earned me favor with God, that he was actually patting me on the back. I used to like truly think I was tithing, though I was living in crazy sin and debauchery and strip clubs and materialism and greed and folly. And some of you in the church, you're like, first time, you're like, dude, he's talking about prostitutes, strip clubs. Like, they're gonna gonna cut the mic. (laughs) They're not gonna cut the mic. We're honest with each other here. And we don't put up a false facade. We talk about things as they are and as they should be. And we don't pretend or make believe. Neither should you. Number four, after all of that, because that was sin, if you remember that outline from the first, sin was one through three, here and four. In my desperation, in, in my living hell, after all my sin caught up with me, because it says in Romans eight, actually we're gonna get there, it says if you live according to the flesh, if you do what your flesh desires, if you do what you desire in your heart, it will lead to death. And I was like, dude, no it doesn't. It doesn't, li- nobody's dropping dead because they slept with a girl or got drunk or smoked weed or made a little extra money because they like to work late and get ahead of everyone else. No one's dropping dead because of status seeking. It's just not true, God. And then at the age of 30, put a gun to my head, lost everything, was living on a fraternity brother's couch. Sin led to death. It just has a really long fuse, a slow burning fuse. And it caught up with me. And there, by the couch that I was living on, after chasing my tail like a dog, trying to get everything this world could acquire, my feeble little self thought I was so big time and wasn't, but everything that I could grasp that the world would say, women, money, status, cars, houses, property, whatever, I thought I had it all, tiger by the tail, and I had nothing. I had emptiness inside, I couldn't sleep at night, so I'd have to drink a bottle of scotch or two or three bottles of wine. So broken, empty, anxious, despairing of life, I had to numb out my pain, though I had what I thought was everything. And so there by that couch that I was kneeling on, Romans 4, 21 and following, being fully persuaded that God had promised, had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. This was talking about Abraham. It was not only written for him alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness for us who believe in him, who raised Jesus from the dead. He was delivered over to death for my sins, your sins, and was raised to life for our justification. Finally, at the age of 30, in total despair, I got down on my knees, face in the dirty apartment carpet. It was like, I've squandered everything, everything, but whatever I've left, it's yours and I asked him to rescue me. And he did. I cashed the check. I cashed the check that I'd been carrying around since I was probably nine years old when I first heard the gospel that Jesus died for your sins and raised from the dead that you could have abundant eternal life. And I was like, whatever. And kept it in my pocket for 21 years until that moment of desperation and realized like I I was spiritually bankrupt and realized, oh my goodness. I am holding this old, wrinkled up, tattered check. Would he still honor this? Does it expire? And he cast the check. And gave me every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, washed my sin, gave me the spirit, took away my sin, gave me his righteousness. Y'all cast the check. Some of you are carrying a check that you're not cashing and you're living on your own strength and it's going to catch up with you. The soil of suffering, Romans 5, 3, it says, not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. Uh, The soil of suffering is is rocky and full of dirt and decay and hardship, it's hard ground, it's dry ground, and yet because of that, in that suffering, in that soil, it is fertile. And what God will bring forth from that is incredible fruit. And so no matter where you are, everyone's got suffering in life. I've told you a little bit about mine. For some of you, it may be financial hardship, physical hardship, loss of a loved one, loss of opportunity at work. I I don't know, and I wouldn't pretend to, what your suffering is, but everyone in this room is facing a battle of their own. And in this battle, if you surrender it to God and quit striving on your own strength, he promises that he will produce endurance, character, and hope. That is what will come out of that soil of suffering. Romans 6, 6 through 7. Romans 6 changed my life, and I gotta start going quicker, but... He says, for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Joel Osteen wrote a terrible book called Your Best Life Now. The Bible wrote a book called Your Best Death Now that we are to die to ourselves. I've got a self-portrait in my office that's got a picture of me in a suit holding a briefcase full of money, which I never had, and a bottle of liquor and a bandana over my face for lust, and I'm, and I'm crucified. I'm on a cross, nailed to it because of Romans 6 and what it says, that it would be a reminder to me that the old slave to sin has been crucified with Christ. You can barely see Jesus on the backside of that cross, crown of thorns, because I never wanna forget. I never wanna get off that cross. Man, the old me that was a slave to sin, he's dead. He was crucified, my Bible says. And there's so much freedom in that, that it's like, Satan wants to say, man, that's just you, that's who you are, you'll never change. And you say, no, no, Satan. Spiritual witness relocation, that person's dead and gone. I've got a new name, new home, new identity. The man, that door you're knocking on, he doesn't live there anymore. That person's dead and gone. You have no accusation with me. But Romans seven, old flames die hard. I committed adultery once in my life. And uh, it happened again last year and walked through some steps of repentance, confessed it. And, uh, and I, I committed adultery last week, committed adultery yesterday. We commit adultery against God, Christ, the bridegroom, we, the church, the bride, a lot. We are committing adultery against whom we are wed to. We don't see it that way because, hey, we're forgiven, right? Romans 6, forgiven, sin all the more, right? We're committing adultery, James writes. So in Romans 7, Paul says, uh, 7.15, I do not understand what I do for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. Old flames die hard, and we continue to commit adultery. So what do we do with that? Romans 8, now we're into this semester. Romans 8 says, in Romans eight thirteen, it's one of the most powerful scriptures for you to battle sin. It's the only way to battle sin, P.S. Sin is a supernatural problem that demands a supernatural answer. You have no power over sin. God alone does. And so out of Romans 7, where it's like, why do I do what I hate to do? God responds and says, if you live by the f- according to the flesh, you'll die. But, bad news, good news, but if by the Spirit, Here's the tag team. If you grew up in the 80s, WWF, you like tap the corner and here comes the big guy into the ring. You've got the nameless wrestler who's just getting owned and then you tap the pro that jumps in, angry, who knows all the moves and just owns the little guy in the corner because it says if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you'll live you will live the full abundant life that Christ promised. But you're not gonna do it on your own. You tap the big guy and it's done. And it's what I did with alcoholism. I couldn't beat it on my own. Tapped God. I was like, God, you gotta do this. I can't, you can. And then I realized like, you know what? If he was big enough to do it with alcoholism, he's probably big enough to do it with me quarreling with my wife, Laura. Laura. And so I started asking him to do that. And then I was like, you know what? If he's big enough to do it, because he did. Like in the last year, we used to quarrel a lot. In the last year, I think it was three times, full integrity. It used to be weekly. I was like, if you're big enough to do that, you're probably big enough to, to kill my critical spirit that scoffs at others. That one's in progress. Keep asking me about it and keep praying, me, praying for me. Romans 9 says in 9-11, Yet before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad in order that God's purpose and election might stand, he called one and said, this one I love. God bestows mercy on whom he will show mercy. That's, that's what uh, Romans 10 unpacks. But beyond that, what it also says is that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Some of you sitting here today, I... I Firmly believe, have not cashed that check. You're dead in your sins. You're bound for hell. I don't say that in condemnation. I say that as a warning and as a pleading to cash the check for what that verse says in Romans ten nine. Confess with your mouth, Jesus, your Lord. I'm not. I believe that God raised you from the dead. That you died for my sins. Save me, and He will. He'll have mercy on you. Romans eleven eighteen. Some of us who have been saved, now that are saved. In 11.18, it says, uh, do not boast over those branches. If you do, consider this, you do not support the root, but the root support is you. Um, God's saying, hey, if you have, if God has shown mercy on you and you've been elected born of him, uh, don't, don't mock those who haven't. Don't boast in it and be arrogant towards others. Now, I do that all the time. There's this one individual that, Literally, I was like, hey, so what do you believe? He's like, well, I believe that God's in the in the deer and in the trees and my church is nature. And I was like, oh my gosh, you idiot. Are you serious? You think the deer take care of you? That's what he, that's what he said, quote. I think the deer take care of me. I'm like, okay, well, I, I mean, I hit one with a truck once. Like, I don't, I don't think they take care of you when we eat them. And I literally was like scoffing at him. But th- what this scripture says is like, man, don't, don't mock them. God showed mercy on you. Now what, now what your role is is to pray for them and love them and point them to the one who can save. Don't be arrogant. And yet I do and I am. So we gotta turn our hearts to be merciful and remember mercy. Romans 12 is a chapter. I can't read all of it. Here's some highlights. It says, in view of God's mercy... Well, here's what I'd say. Romans 12, if I could live this chapter of Romans. Romans 6 changed my life historically when I realized the old slave to sin was dead. Romans 12 is what I I need to change my life now. Romans 12 unpacks all of this incredible, it's like Proverbs of Romans that are right there. I mean, just listen to some of this. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If your gift is serving, let him serve. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Let love be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what's good, be devoted in brotherly love, honor one another above yourselves. Dude, I can't even, I can't even do that. I can't even honor somebody above myself. Like if I could just focus on one part of Romans 12, do not take revenge, my brothers. Instead, the Lord says it's mine to avenge. Therefore, if your enemy's hungry or thirsty, feed him and give him water. And doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. I can't do one of those, and I can't in my own strength, but if I could just live parts of that, fractions of it, how my life would be transformed. Romans 13, it's titled Submission. I should have titled it Cops and Jesus because I used to avoid Cops and Jesus. I used to run from Cops and Jesus. I used to think Cops and Jesus were out to take my fun. And I was paranoid about cops and Jesus. Anyone, time when, if they got behind me, I'm like, oh man, 10 and 2, 10 and 2. Don't shake the wheel, use your blinker, come to a complete stop. Because I pro, still probably stunk from the night before. And then I realized, cops and Jesus, they're there to protect me. They're there as God's care for me. Submit to the authority among you for every authority established by God, Romans 13 says. And then it says, all of the laws fulfilled in loving one another. Let no debt remain outstanding except to love one another. When you submit yourself to Romans 13, the law of the land and the law of the kingdom, you're free. You're not running, you're not scared, you're not paranoid, you're free. Now I walk up and I, I love police officers, love them, pray for them, and the same with Jesus, how crazy I was before. Romans 14 talks about freedoms, like we have freedoms now, but that we're not to abuse those freedoms and cause our brothers to stumble. Rather, we're to be focused on the fruit of the kingdom, love and peace in Romans fourteen seventeen, rather than the freedoms that we may have that may cause our brothers to stumble. It's that love limits liberty. That even though you may feel the freedom to do certain things, that if your brother doesn't have those liberties, then you would restrain that because you don't want your brother to fall. You don't wanna destroy his faith in light of your freedoms. Instead, you wanna bear fruit. And so our focus now is on the other, honoring one another above ourselves. Let the Spirit bring to mind whatever those freedoms may be. And then Romans 15, 20, it just talks about a life ambition. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. I would always be my ambition to preach the gospel. I realized when God saved me, I was like, it's like life snapped into 3D and I was like... This is all life is about. I said it last night as I was sitting with a buddy. We're sitting talking about kids, marriage, work, everything. And it was like, you know, truly everyone is either a slave to righteousness through God, Romans 6, or they are a slave to sin and Satan, Second Timothy 2. Like every single person on this world is a slave either to God and righteousness or sin and Satan. That's so sobering. And that means all of our life ambition is exactly what Paul says his is in Romans 15, 20, that we are to preach the gospel. And Paul is writing this. And I would argue you guys are more like Paul than I am. Who here works in a church? One hand, three, three hands. Paul didn't work in a church. And he says his life ambition is to preach the gospel. Paul was a businessman. Paul was out in the world preaching the gospel. I I am uh, crippled in a way that you are able and that I am in these walls for a lot of my working day, a lot of my life. You guys are out there. You're gonna leave these walls and you're gonna be out among those who are slaves to sin and Satan and your life ambition is to preach the gospel just like Paul. And then finally, Romans 16, Paul unpacks, I mean, all of these names. He just shares these names of people that he loves, that he knows in the faith, and he builds up the body. He builds them up because we are one body. There's no Lone Ranger Christianity. And as a result, he just he writes this letter and is like, Tom, let love mark you. Dan, you're about to walk through the furnace of affliction, honor the Lord. Lay down your life, leave a legacy. Jeff, I know you may not have what you want, But you have me, and I'll make you content in every circumstance. One, I know what you've been through. And there are great, great things. I'll redeem all of your pain. Tyler, I see you. You're on fire for the Lord. You're growing like a weed. And he names these people in the church, and the ones I did are my friends and brothers in this room. And he unpacks Romans 16 and builds them up. And we have that example too, for us to now live out. We're not to tear down, that critical spirit in me is evil. And that my life should be about bodybuilding. Even if I can't do it physically, at least I can do it spiritually. Dude, no one laughed at that? I thought it was obvious. Okay, hey, I haven't worked out in over a decade but I need to work out a lot spiritually and build up the body, Romans 16. Let me pray. Father God, I pray that uh, your truth would transform us. Jesus said in John 17, 17, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Father, do not let this be a Bible study. Do not let us be Pharisees. We are sons of, Let us be sanctified by the spirit that we would bring you glory and live the full abundant life that is laid out in Romans. It's all of our stories from sin to salvation by your sovereignty and to live out our days with the ambition to know you and make you known and build up the body. Lord, let us live it. And as we go to our groups now, I pray that they would be as honest In their time, as I was from the stage with this microphone, that we wouldn't hide our sin, our suffering, our sorrow, but that we would lay it out because you oppose the proud and you give grace to the humble. So, Lord, transform us by the Spirit. This time is yours. Amen.